evening, good day, uh, good morning. God knows what time people are listening to this, but uh, this is uh, once again another installment of the Random Precision Podcast. Uh, this is your humble host, Marco, and today we are speaking to Mr. D. That's, Hello. That's right, Mr. D. That's me. <laughs> but so my understanding of, right. of uh, the question was media that influenced me in high school that was introduced by a teacher, or do you want to clarify what the question is? So th- this was, this goes back to something I uh, encountered online. I was reading the AV Club uh, about seven years ago, and uh, they had this thing called the AV Q&A. And it'd be this, this random question, usually a question posed by a reader, and uh, it was specifically, what was something that you were introduced to uh, in school that left like a lasting impression? And so I immediately uh, was really... Um, engaged by the responses of the writers but then it got really interesting in in the forum because everyone was chipping in with their impressions and memories and i couldn't help but think of like you know what what was i introduced to that really spoke to me so you know fast forward years later and then i'm coming up with like different options to make available to uh prospective guests and uh and i thought hmm this is something that i would you know even in conversation I'd, i'd love to pick people's brains and see what they have to say and Finally, you're you're the first person to uh, humor me, so thank you. Okay, well, I'm ready to start, and I, it's I, I think it follows the rules, but I didn't officially get to watch it in school because, um, well, this will be part of the story, but we didn't really have access to movies at school, which is I'll talk about later. But the teacher told us to watch this show on TV called Roots when I was a freshman in high school, and uh, this was the days of. TV was once a week and if you missed an episode you would have to wait for the repeat you couldn't record anything and uh, this turns out as um, to be probably one of the most groundbreaking historical shows in the history of television for many many reasons so there actually was a week between installments it wasn't like two or three back-to-back days or maybe a couple of no days. I think it was called a mini a mini series and and they were like events, and you would it would be like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, like a whole oh, okay. yeah. And, and they were called miniseries. Um, and, and it was, yeah, I, I have it on my shelf. Uh, I've I've never seen it. I always knew about it. I mean, for me, it was always the pop culture thing of the uh, your name is Toby, and the, no, my name is Kunta Kinte. Well, uh, Levar. Well, I'll tell you one thing is that um, I mean, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and if we learned about slavery in the history books, it was not. I mean, this was supposed to be a family show, you know, like the teacher told us to watch this show. And uh, I, I was a 14 year old kid and I, I knew a little bit about history, but the history you learn in the textbooks at ours in our schools were not this. I mean, and, and uh, I, I do remember. And the other thing is in TV those days, everybody was watching the same thing. In fact, I think this might have been the number one, like the, the final episode was watched by 50% of all televisions in the United States all at the same time. Wow. So like imagine the entire country and half of them that are watching TV are watching this show all at the same time. That's incredible. And it's about, and it's like in your face, um, slavery story, brutality, whippings, like there was no, and you know, I turned this thing on. I said, mom, this is my homework. <laughs> and, and, the, and like there's boobs in it. So I'm super excited. That, and, and, and that's another controversial thing. You couldn't show that on TV, but because it was African-American women, they were able to show it on like primetime TV, which 
Wow. Like, you know, this is the 70s. And because and it was also like, okay, on National Geographic, because they were like Indians in the Amazon, so they could be topless. But you, yeah, I was about to say that. I was going to pull the National Geographic card. Oh, my. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you couldn't, you know, you couldn't show white women boobs. But um, uh-huh. so, you know, here I am. And this is my homework. And like day one, like, like, what is what is this? And not only that, um, the actors they used was like, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard of the Brady Bunch. It's like the dad from the Brady Bunch is a, is a brutal slave owner. And <laughs> and, and also like the, the dad from the Waltons. These are like like icons of like nice guy, um, yeah. you know, middle, you know, wholesome values white America. And they're, they're playing slave mm-hmm. owners. And even if they were nice, they weren't nice. Like they, they would... If money was involved, they would they would sell who they needed to sell in order to make money off of slavery. Yeah, J- Jerry actually likes to bring up the fact of the whole uh, counter programming of Fred McMurray on Double Indemnity, and then you know versus his uh, Disney uh, family persona. Yeah, so I mean, in so many ways, it was revolutionary, but just also just the way television was presented back then. And um, do you do you recall which network I, you know what, was that aired? I would have to look it up, but I'm, for some reason I'm thinking ABC. It's like I'm, I'm seeing in my mind an ABC epic event or something. Um, they would take oh. novels and they would call them. And I think that it was like low season. They didn't think that this thing was going to take off the way it did. And, and uh, I was never exposed to history like this, certainly not at school. And then do you, do you recall, I mean, I know it was just like kind of like a spontaneous recommendation from the teacher, but do you recall if the book by Alex Haley was already a bestseller or a big thing or was it because of the show that the book all of a sudden got really no they were out? always made out of books and uh he also wrote on uh, malcolm uh, he helped write the autobiography of malcolm x so yeah the book was already out there and i think it was already a bestseller because that's what they did but then but then it became like i read the book after i saw the show i would never at 14 years old read a, a the 1200 page i don't know how many pages it was a big thick book about about mm-hmm. slavery uh, as a 14 year old suburban white kid you know that would be not what i would read i would be reading science fiction stuff yeah. but i did read the book after i saw the show no that, that's that's an amazing pick um another thing that comes to mind is i'm trying my best to catch up on what were some other of the big landmark television events of the 70s and 80s and so uh, one of them that comes to mind is like the Shogun, Shogun. Birds, and Holocaust. Okay, okay, and and then I just picked up because I'm on a big Western kick right now, a Centennial. Yeah, and I think they also. I'm, I'm thinking Exodus, but I think that was actually like a four-hour movie, not a TV show. Exodus is a good one, okay. but I I think that was a movie. But uh, the ones that I remember, the big ones were Shogun, and uh, Thornbirds, and. Uh, holocaust and holocaust was also like roots but roots was roots was the first like the thorn birds was historical and and as a kid i I like it wasn't the same like roots was like like it showed the brutality of slavery and the history and capitalism and Mm -hmm. and, uh, like there was a lot of politics to take in as a kid yeah now the the big one for my generation was a north and south i remember that was something we were shown and uh, I think that was my introduction to Patrick Swayze. Okay. Yeah, and and <laughs> another thing about this is because I remember I had to go to synagogue on Friday night, and it was like the, the next to the season finale, and I, I was going to miss it, and I, I, there was no way to watch it again. 
And I remember being pissed oh, at my wow. parents in the car because because I was going to miss the like next to last episode and I wouldn't be able to see it again until the repeats came. And who knows when that would be. Mm-hmm. So that was a big yeah. deal. Um, and another part of it is I remember you couldn't watch something like that at school. But by the time I was a senior, and I think this has a lot to do with what we consider education and not education. Um, one of the history teachers somehow managed to get like a TV and a VCR. And in those days, like VCRs were a tank. They, they were like these gigantic, you know, $5,000 mm-hmm. machines that weighed, you know, 500 pounds and you needed a crane to bring them into the classroom. And, um, you know, <laughs> and he got it so he could show roots. And I remember thinking, man, that's not fair. We have to sit in the class and listen to a book. And those guys, those, those students get to watch TV in class like that. That was a huge deal to be able now, you know, now, now kids are just watching Netflix every day in classrooms all over the, the country, but we couldn't, you, could, you couldn't watch TV in class. That wasn't something that you could do at school. That wasn't education TV, but like, and I think, uh, I think that kind of shows how close-minded education could be. Because yeah. I, you can certainly learn a lot from TV. And I think there's like a real, there still is in education, like somehow, oh, the, the, the teacher's showing a movie, so he's not, he's not doing his job or something. You know, there's still these weird like biases that come from, from the, the 1800s when, when, when we had summer vacation because kids had to work on the farm, you know? It's like we don't live, we don't live <laughs> in, 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 uh, in Kansas in, in 1910 anymore. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I long uh, subscribe to the whole idea of um, really endorsing media literacy. And, you know, I mean, sure, I, I've, I've definitely been enriched immensely by literature, but cinema and television, you know, was the the medium growing up as a, as a, as a latchkey kid. And, you know, I, I walked away, you know, learning a lot of like life's lessons. And, and, and when you look at it, like, like, you know, film is lit, you know, that we, we were, we were both, you know, looking into teaching that class. And it's such a big part of the mission statement, which is, hey, you can break down a film, you know, like you could literature, look for the themes and the construction elements and how it's all uh, blended together to, to create a message. Well, I mean, I'm a film teacher and uh, I studied film as a major and I'm all for you, but I still find myself having to defend myself sometimes and, and what a film class is. But I'm not on this podcast to do that. Um, I mean, absolutely, film needs to be taught and how to watch films. And, um, and there's still like a bias that somehow it's not education because it's, a, it's film. Um, but that's not the discussion mm-hmm. that I want to get into because um, I'm just saying that was like a huge influence, even though we couldn't watch it in class. Um, so I wanted to put that as number one, you know, just, just the whole. Okay. The, just, and then just remembering um, all the kids were watching it and we would all come to school the next day. Well, we were all talking about the boobs, of course, you know, <laughs> every, you know, Tuesday we all came to class and we were like, you know, we couldn't stop talking about that because also that was like such an incredible thing for my generation. Um, things have changed so much um, in terms of what kids are exposed to and I don't, and what they could find on their cell phone with a very simple search, um, you know, so, yeah. um, so yeah, Roots, my number one um, thing that a teacher told me to watch, and I probably wouldn't have watched it on my own. Nice. I don't know if I would have, awesome. but, um, and it definitely like changed. It, it was complicated TV. It was, um, it was like sophisticated. And as I said, even the irony of using, um, using these characters as, as the bad guys, 
and it wasn't like they didn't cast the, the usual bad guys as the bad guys. These were these were in our in our mm-hmm. minds the Brady Bunch dad. So um, it did it kind of turned my head around, and I think it did influence my view as as media and something that is educational. You can absolutely learn history from film and television. Yeah. Well, kudos to your teacher back then for that endorsement. Uh, yeah, and again, it was as I said, we were all super jealous because because that one teacher did have his VCR, and we, and we felt it was unfair that those kids got to watch TV in class, and we were sitting, and I think that whole two weeks of school because we knew it took like two weeks to get through the whole thing, we were all like sitting in our seats, like <laughs> all of us pissed off. We couldn't concentrate on our textbooks because. Uh, the teacher down the hall had this VCR and he was entitled and I don't know what strings he pulled to get it. Um, and, wow. and of course the downside of media is like, I think every single kid that goes through LAUSD has seen stand and deliver every time there's a sub in the classroom. So yeah, La Bamba and, La Bamba. and, and, and uh, yeah, like how many times does a kid need to sit through that? That's an abuse. All right. So number two, Mr. D. <laughs> number two, well, again, it has to do with watching films in high school back in the 70s. Well, yeah, it's the late 70s, the early 80s, and the lack of having access to TV and media like the students do today. So the one movie that we got to watch, and I think we got to watch it every year, and it was a huge event because it was a, we didn't, we didn't have, as I said before, we didn't have a v, a VCRs in the classroom. So uh, it would be a projector. And uh, my memory is it was like the PE teacher who had the mutton mutton chop, you know, the the the, the mustache from the seventies, you know, the mm-hmm. the Burt Reynolds looks and uh and the and the big sideburns and like smoking a cigarette. I don't know if you were allowed to smoke, but it, back then, like if you watch movies from that back then, they're delivering babies with a cigarette in their hands. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know like, like I think if you watch The Exorcist, they're delivering the baby, and the surgeon like has a cigarette, and they're all chain smoking in the in the operating room but um so yes so i remember like we would all be like standing in line and we'd go into the auditorium and it was like a field trip because we got to see a movie and it was uh because we were reading um romeo and juliet it was like it was west side story so and and you know and just i remember like being in our seats and in the in the, the the pe teacher with his cigarette and the smoky projector and, and you know, for some reason, there's something sleazy about it. I don't know why, but you know, and like the sound of that projector, and then when the the the, the film would end, and you, it would have that weird sound because he would like that he wasn't paying attention, and you'd have to change reels in the middle of it. But oh. uh, but it was West Side Story, and uh, I still think that's a great movie. And it also, I mean, some teachers think that they're awesome because they teach Shakespeare, and uh, I mean Shakespeare is great, but. It, He's a pain. It's like a pain to get through that. And mm-hmm. it's not really that much fun for a 14-year-old kid to read Romeo and Juliet. It's like a lot of work for not that much of a payoff, in my, in my opinion, um, as a teacher trying to introduce it to students. I don't feel, um, why not modernize it? And there's West Side Story, and it's all of a sudden I realize it's actually a great story. It's just, uh, I don't have to you know look up every single six uh, whatever century that was in and and try to figure out how what the spelling what that word means um it was like oh i get it it's like great story and uh Mm -hmm. so again there's like some bias that things that are old and 
and difficult are classic and and um because there are a lot of work there they're awesome and something that's new and modernized and accessible is not good education or all these weird biases in my opinion so for a film at that point over 15 years old did it work like gangbusters still well or... I, I think i'd seen it before and i've seen that like i hardly ever rewatch movies i still think it's a great movie and i have shown it in the class and like the students like they like the movie grease and they don't really like west Side story and i mean it's i think it's you know the music the idea and the um some of the issues that are raised but again it's the idea of taking shakespeare and showing that at its core <clears throat> the story is archetypal and it translates to modern times and um like that other the leonardo dicaprio it's the same thing i mean they modernized it but i kind of like west side story more than than the leonardo dicaprio thing hmm. um but uh, you know for for the students of today, the editing and everything is much more modern in the new, in the new version. Mm -hmm. But again, um, if someone is going to say, well, it's not really Shakespeare or it's watered down or it's, it's, it's pandering to an audience. The, the point is like the, it, it actually shows the genius of, of somebody like Shakespeare that, that the story could be written hundreds of years ago and be relevant today. Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm going to include that one, West Side Story, because it showed how exciting. Um, I mean, first of all, just the whole event of of seeing a movie at school, and how exciting that was. And, you know, the the projector and and the whole thing about it. Um, mm -hmm. We take for granted um, how easy it is to 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 just watch a movie on your cell phone. That's like that's like insane for 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 the kid I was back then. Yeah. <laughs> And even VCR, like if if I wanted to see a movie because I was a film buff, like the very first movie I rented um, because we did eventually get a, a VHS was The Graduate. I really wanted to see The Graduate. But how could you see a movie if it wasn't in the theater? Like, think about that. You can't. You couldn't. You could hear about a movie. You could read about it, but you couldn't go online and Google it and find it. So uh, it was like yes. it was like thirty five dollars and it was mailed to me and it took like two weeks to finally get this movie, The Graduate. So, um, you know, like the whole, I think I'm just trying to get a sense that, that how, how, how things have changed in terms of our access to media. Yeah, now, there, now there's kids in, in the classroom that are playing something on mute with subtitles on. So they're not even hearing it. They're just looking at an image and likely reading along. And Yeah, and, and like, and the movies were, and it, it kind of, these filmmakers put all this work into making it on the big screen. Like, you know, West Side Story is supposed to be on a big giant screen and the colors, like they spent so much time on the colors and the lighting and to have something like that watched on a cell phone. It's almost like, to me, it's like, like sacrilegious. There are kids who have seen 2001 A Space Odyssey on their cell Yeah, I know. And it's like, it, you, you can't, how could you count that as, as seeing the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I saw, actually, this is completely off topic, but like I saw Apocalypse Now at the Cinerama Dome, the original director's cut with no, um, no, no titles at the end of it. Um, and it was like at the Cinerama Dome. And that was like the thing. You want to see it on a big, 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 big giant screen. Yes. You don't want to see it on, uh, on TV. But on the other hand, if you, it, at least you can see the movies, you know, at, at least you can see them. And, uh, 
if uh, we didn't have choices, we couldn't see them if it wasn't playing at the theater. Well, that's the trade-off. The accessibility almost trivializes the experience and it, it makes it less, um, I don't know, it, it, it's less lasting. If, if people are binging, you know, an entire season of something over the course of a day or two, it, it like you were just talking about with Roots, you know, the idea that it was like what, what they called, what, what is it, water cooler uh, conversation, appointment, you know, where everybody the next day would talk about the experience. And and now people just want to ingest it as much as, as fast as possible. And then it's just as soon as you're done with one, you're starting with another. So you don't allow it the chance to really like marinate in the pop- popular conscious. I find that like during this uh, quarantine, when I have a chance to binge watch, I, I like after a couple of days of that, I couldn't. I wanted to watch the shows and wait a week, like like literally wait a week just to have that kind of tension and suspense of having to wait a week. Maybe I'm maybe I'm, I mean, I, I guess because I'm old school, but there was something about the discipline of having to wait a week to see what happens next, especially if it's a cliffhanger show where where they really leave you like like Breaking Bad. I watched week by week as opposed to binge watching. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like, yeah. like, you know, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen the next episode. Yeah, everyone's been trying to predict like what's going to be the thing that's going to kind of capture the lightning in the bottle that was Games of Game of Thrones. Yep, same, same thing. But then but now, you know, but then people binge watched it after it was over. Yeah, a lot of people were catching up years into the show's run. Um, yeah, and I, I, I originally started watching that week by week and then I, I got I lost the show i stopped watching it and then i binge watched the last three seasons of it and by binge watching i don't even remember a thing well like the very first five episodes i still remember in in great detail so like binge watching really um, well i guess that's a whole other argument yeah yeah so i mean have you seen west side story what do you think of it (laughs) i'm glad you asked I have an interesting relationship with it is um, my, I, I mean, I, I always grew up knowing that it was one of those landmark musicals. And, and to be honest, it took a while for me to come around on musicals to begin with. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's funny thinking back to my childhood, the, the, the one musical that I think got the most FaceTime for me was Pete's Dragon. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so when I finally got around to West Side Story, and we're talking like in the last four years, uh, it was just way too silly as far as like the, the performances of, you know, everybody playing a Puerto Rican, except for Rita Moreno, were totally wasps in, in really dark makeup. Right. And the accents were just really cartoonish. Right. So that was one issue. But the second, probably the one I had the hardest time was the choreography that everyone touts as one of the greatest features of the film just seems so uh, false. Uh, and I, mean, I get it, you know, because it's, it's like with ballet, you know, each movement is supposed to signify an emotion or whatever. And they definitely were trying to accentuate these relationships and the teen angst and all of that with, with the choreography. But I, I just I don't know what it was. It, it just didn't work for me. And so when I heard that Spielberg was finally giving musicals his complete attention, you know, the closest he's ever gone to that was 1941. And he was going to do a remake of West Side Story. I thought this should be interesting. So I think I'll eventually do a reappraisal of it and maybe I'll come around now that I've seen it. 
I, I have a tendency to kind of come around on things with some distance and some context and just, I don't know. I, I, I think it's reputation just made it seem so unimpeachable. And then I saw it and I thought this was not that amazing. Which, which um, is, I want to bring up is, and that's something as a teacher, I have to realize, like, as I'm giving you the idea of, for me, it wasn't just the West side story. It was like the whole event of it, of going to the gym and, and like this was a, so there was some emotion attached to it. And I think we have to remember mm-hmm. that we attach emotion and then we, it, it crowds our judgment. Cause I, I have shown it in the classroom and the kids don't really like it, but they do like Greece. So, you know, it's not like they don't like musicals, um, but you know, mm-hmm. why do they like Greece and not West side story? I don't know. But um, I just thought Kubrick never made a musical. Wouldn't a Kubrick musical be awesome? I wonder what a Kubrick musical would look like. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I mean, I also understand that, that the movie I saw when I was, that, that has all these things attached to it. And, and then if I show it to another generation, I can't be, you know, attached to my, my judgment of it as at a, at a particular time and place because things have changed. And I try to look at things through the eyes of how a, a new generation might see it. And I can totally see how it's corny and, 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 you know, the, the lead actress is playing Maria's is, is, I don't know. Who was it? Um, I don't know, but it was, yeah. Yeah. Natalie Natalie Wood. So, you know, of course it's dated and corny and yet some dated and corny stuff, the, the, the students will like it and watch it. So sometimes I can't tell. Um, but I'm, but again, you know, for me, it wasn't just West Side Story. It was like, wow, we were allowed to watch this at school. We, we, this is, it, this is education and it's entertainment. And so there's a lot of emotions for me. And I think we have to remember that when we recommend things to people, um, that the time and place that they're watching at might be completely different. For sure. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this. I mean, definitely to, to coincide with uh, the Spielberg remake is I would definitely for my next opportunity to see West Side Story is on the big screen because the, the way it's framed, I mean, it was, it, 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 I don't know if it was like, um, not not this division, but I mean, it was like ultra widescreen. Like you can tell in the way that the, 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 the way that the film is, is shot that is really wide. And, and I, I don't know, on, on a TV... It just won't capture it. That might be part of it, yeah, because it's definitely, and it's also like saturated colors, you know, like the reds and the, and it, it was made for cinema. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they, they like, it's those movies back then, they spent a lot of money into making sure the proportions of the screen, that was all part of it. And, and we've lost that because we're not making movies that way anymore. We're making them so they'll be so, shown on the big screen maybe for two weeks, but you know, in a week, it's going to be streaming on TV. So why bother to make all this uh, extra effort to show it on a big screen when, when unless it's a Star Wars or a Marvel or something, people aren't going to be watching it on a big screen. Uh-huh. So, uh, but back then, yeah, I mean, these were that. these were special big. There were certain big screen movies that were meant to be watched on a big screen. Well, it's it's a film with a an overture and an intermission. I mean, it was like those roadshow experiences. Right, right. And, and again, that's what I'm trying to say about the experience of it. Um, so that's why I'm picking West Side Story, but I think we can move on to the next one. Okay. Number, Number three. three. Um, I bet you have not heard of this book. I just looked it up. I would recommend you take a look at this book. Um, this book was life-changing for me. It was called How to Read Donald Duck. Have you heard of this? <laughs> no. 
It was written by a Marxist after Chile was invaded by the United States and they put in a dictator. Um, I don't know if you know that whole history, Allende and all of Pinochet and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And it basically looks at the history of, of Disney comics and a history teacher told us about it. See, the thing is, I went to school and I realized now all of my teachers were hippies because you either went to Vietnam or you went to college. So the ones that went to college were, mm. were, were, were not, didn't get sent to the army to die in Vietnam. They, they got, they, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good reason to go to college, I would say, as opposed to what they're telling yeah. kids today. Um, I mean, I think it's a pretty good reason go, go to Vietnam and, and, and risk your life for, for some, some war that we don't even know what is about or go to college. So, uh, I realized most of my teachers, they, they had short hair and they had ties and they didn't look like they were hippies, but uh, they were because they went to college during that time. And one of my uh, physics teachers showed me a picture of him and it was like long hair with flags in the background and fires and Volkswagens <laughs> being overturned or something. And I was like, that's you, mister. I don't want to say the name, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, this history teacher told us about this book called How to Read Donald Duck. And it basically looks at Disney comics. And, and like, I, I wish I could show a visual of it because it's absolutely true. Like, it's it's paving the way for America to take over Latin America. And, like, Donald Duck is is there and Scrooge. And they're all, like, these these imperialists in South America. There's actually cartoons of them in, 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 in Mexico and South America and, and, and money. And it's just basically saying that, we're indoctrinated as children into certain messages that we're not even aware of that are, um, you know, making us sort of buy into whatever the political slant of the country is. That's yeah. wild. And, and if you look at the pictures, and this isn't like conspiracy stuff. Like, I, I, you know, right now um, there's all this conspiracy stuff. And I don't know what happened in 9-11. I don't know what happened to that building, but there's no evidence of it. We, you know, people who... You, people went to the moon there's all these theories but this i mean this is <clears throat> this there's evidence i mean there's evidence about how the united states destabilized latin america and uh set up these dictatorships and then there's the evidence of these disney comics that i was reading as a kid that were in basically saying that that's that's what we're supposed to do no i'm so thrilled that you made this recommendation because donald duck is actually my favorite animated character and I've actually made a concentrated effort over the last five years to collect all of the uh, Karl Barks original Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck comics. Well, this will so, look at some of those old co- comics and you will not you'll not look at them the same again. I mean, look at Scrooge. He's he's the he's one of the examples. He's the capitalist guy. Yeah. And like and then like there's the, the you, you can see the book shows these pictures where like he's telling Huey, Dewey and Louie go out there and make money and and. Uh, Go out there and, and I mean, I, I need to, to show you the pictures in order to explain it. But basically the idea that Disney is part of this imperialist, cultural, political <laughs> scheme to destabilize Latin America and set up dictatorships. Like imagine being a 16 year old kid in school and having your mind blown like that. All the choices we have in America is, is like fake choices. Yeah. And, and what's even more wild is that uh, when some, some people that, that know about the Walt Disney Studios, uh, Disney Studios history is that uh, if it wasn't for World War II, uh, Disney, as we know, it would have totally sank because they had 
for some reason, it's amazing that after the the one two punch of uh, Snow White and Pinocchio, they kept releasing flops. Their films were not successful. I mean, Fantasia is a perfect example uh, of a film that now is considered a masterwork. Blah blah blah. But back then, just people had no patience for it. And so Disney was on the ropes. And then there was all the internal like employee struggles when they were, um, you know, unionizing and, and, and all the labor issues. But anyways, the point is, is that uh, before they got the contract from the government to do the, uh, you know, the, 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 the shorts that they did um, during the war, um, that uh, Walt Disney and his animators, they went to South America and it was filmed like there's actual footage of it. And uh, I, I forgot what it's called. There's a documentary that they released in the last 20 years called Walt and El Guapo or something. And um, and basically it, out of that trip, like they, they painted as they went to South America to just, you know, see the culture and to catch the sights. And out of that came two films, Saludos Amigos and um, Los Tres Caballeros. And so everyone points to that. And of course, the documentary funded by Disney is going to paint it as, oh, these amazing artists went out there to be inspired. But then after what you've told me right now, it's like, hmm, could that trip to South America have been planting the seeds for what ended up happening in Chile? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the people, the ones that wrote the book were from Chile and they, and they were just basically saying, yeah, probably those two movies would be good examples. Like if you read the book and watch the movies, you're it, it's basically... Um, you probably won't see the movie the same way. They'll be like really obvious, you know, very racist sorts of things and very, very political messages about like Scrooge being having every right to go into the, the country and, and uh, buy up islands or, or land or whatever he needed for Huey, Louie and Dewey to be his little nephews to be successful in this paradise of South America, which is colorful and, and fun for kids while underhandedly, um, brainwashing us into <laughs> becoming little tiny um, followers of the imperialist ideology of the United States. <laughs> um, so, and I've actually revisited that in college and I even, I even wrote my um, master's thesis on, on Marxist theory um, because we, we totally don't understand what communism really is. And uh, all communism countries um, failed because of human nature but um, like I was in Romania, which was a communist country, and every single it was really amazing. <clears throat> they all had the same cars. They all had the same exact size apartments. And if you went into the grocery store, they didn't have labels on the food. Yeah. And there they didn't even try to fake it. It just said soap. You know, no, no packaging, no colors, <laughs> no, uh, it just said soap or, or, or uh, soup or chicken, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about communism and, and capitalism and all that. But one of the things that he said, like when people are complaining in this in this virus about capitalism and big money, that's what this country is—big money. It's always been. It's like it, <clears throat> when I hear "wake up," wake up from what? I mean, wake up that big pharmaceuticals are making money off off uh, medicine. Um, you. you uh, textbook companies are making money off of education. We live in that's the society. That's America. We're a capitalist society. We can't complain about it, right? I mean, we go in the grocery store and we have all of these colorful things full of sugar and and preservatives and with different colored labels. But it's all comes from the same company. It's not a real choice, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we can't wake up suddenly, and it's not even 
it's you know it's a mixed we're we're a mixed we're a mixed society but um marxism just basically said that so uh but you know as a 16 year old i i I think that i think i think i got a pretty good education in terms of facing the realities of adulthood including the virus you know like the realities of our economy and things like that big money is what runs runs society it's always going to be workers that are going to be exploited by the people that are trying to make money and they're going to try to make the workers work as much as they can to make as much money as they can that's how the system works wow number yeah, four so number four well i wanted to include what i've gotten i got tv i got a movie i got a book a nonfiction book so the other thing i wanted to talk about was the, 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 you know, the hip English teacher that's at every school that plays music, you know, every school. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, the, every, every time he'd have his record player and he'd be playing his, his music. And um, I was, I was like intrigued by the doors, especially um, he didn't play it in the classroom, but then I went and bought that two hour live album with that 20 minute song that has the Oedipus complex in it, where it says, mother, I want to F you. You know which song I'm talking about? Mm. Okay, so that that was yes, my I introduction do. to Freud. Now I don't think I don't know. Does that officially count as being introduced by a teacher? Yeah, that's pretty awesome that that you had teachers that were introducing that kind of material to you and being able to link like something that seems so innocent and so a staple of people's upbringings. And it's like, but look, hey, well, they weren't all hippies. We had one guy that was like a marine, and uh, he had like a plate in his head. So some of the kids would like drop books. <laughs> because we knew he had PTSD. So we would like drop books and he would think that someone was shooting at him. So uh, <laughs> it was both. We all hated him though. You know, he was like the, he was like the discipline guy. He was like, you know, the rules and sit in your seat and all of that. Um, so it was like, they were either hippies or Marines. That's who we had in our school because I listened to the doors and I learned about Freud from that song and learned about the Oedipus complex, which, uh, um, I, you can't like show a Hitchcock movie like uh, Psycho in my film class without teaching the kids about Freud. And I don't think ever in their life they've been introduced to the Oedipus complex. A revolution in thinking. Wow. <laughs> like the idea that, that we want to sleep with our moms and kill our dads. Like, um, I mean, that's pretty, yeah. that's a pretty intense concept. And I'm, I'm surprised that a parent hasn't called the school and say, what is this teacher teaching? But <laughs> on the other hand, he's one of the greatest thinkers of, of, of all time you know there's there's some stuff that's discredited but the idea that we're we have subconscious thoughts that are dictating how how we're acting is um you know like Mm -hmm. um our advertising is is going on our emotions like what's going on in during this pandemic with with conspiracy theories and all of that i mean i I don't know your listeners i don't want to like be labeling people but there's a lot of emotions out there that are controlling how we are acting and how we're responding. And it's got nothing to do with our intellect. It's got all to do with our emotions. And, you know, Freud, yeah. by telling us that not only are, are we acting out of our emotions, we're acting out of our little child emotions, that most of how we're acting in our 30s or 20s or our teens or our 40s has to do with how we were raised the first five years of our lives. So, uh, you know, hmm. that's a lot for a high school kid to put their, their brains around. Well, I think it also, there's truth to that because you can also argue that females have a tendency to seek a male partner that is like their father, that has attributes that a, a father exhibited. 
So it goes both ways. Uh, yeah. And I mean, have you, I mean, in your education, have you ever actually learned about Freud? Was it ever uh, taught to you in school officially? No, I, I, I never took um, psychology. Uh, I mean, very, very broad, very, very basic understanding or just of those concepts that they exist. Well, I mean, but... you've seen the movie Psycho, though, right? And, you know, yeah, it's it's Freud. It's it's Freud's theory there on the screen. But most people mm-hmm. have never really been introduced to it. And uh, I mean, I was introduced to it through a door song and where where, you know, someone explained to me, oh, that's this guy named Freud. And then I learned it on my own. Um, but then I learned it again in college. But I think that a lot of people aren't introduced to some of these like extremely or even Marxism. I don't think I don't think people are really being taught that anymore. I don't know why, you know. Like, like we sh- we're all watching TV. We're all being influenced by, by uh, commercials. We're all being influenced to buy stuff that we don't really need. We're all being, we're all being, turning on Facebook, and and it's it's it's, people are behaving according to to things that 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 are completely subconscious and unconscious, and we shouldn't know what that means. We should understand. It. No, and not really. I mean, I think that uh, how we're controlled in that way. Well, that's one of the things I always try to instill in, in, my, in my students, which is the idea that, you know, a lot of the advertising and, and the, the media, the arts and stuff is focus group to death. Like they want to appeal to the broadest demographic. They're going to cater it to all sorts of surveys that they throw out there and the data that they receive from people's, you know, internet searches and whatever. And that's why everything is so just blah and predictable and formulaic because they know that that's what's going to ultimately garner the yeah, biggest I mean, profit. Especially because they've, they, they've taken psychology and they've turned it into a science. That's, that's why that show Mad Men is so oh, good yeah. because it's about, it's about advertising and, and like the history of advertising and um, how, how we're being manipulated by advertising. Mean, you've seen Mad Men, right? And yes. that, you know, they, they, they studied psychology, they studied human behavior. And so the people that are studying psychology and human behavior and subconscious behavior versus the people that don't, they have more power than when we're complaining about big money, why not be complaining about the people that are controlling us by controlling information and controlling how, how we're uh, like, how, the, how we're being manipulated by people that understand psychology more than the people that don't. Does that make sense? What mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um, yes. You know, why, why yes. are Super Bowl commercials so expensive? Why, why do the people that, that put their advertisements on the Super Bowls, why do they have to pay so much money? Because they've paid lots of money to psychologists and people who study human behavior to make sure that when they have 30 seconds on the screen, that you're going to get off of your couch and you're going to buy their Doritos. Like they, they didn't just randomly come up with that commercial. They had like millions of dollars by paying these college professors that know about psychology designing these things. You know, that's what mm. Mad Men is about. It showed the psychology. So so that was indirectly mm. my introduction of Freud by a teacher who played the doors. Yeah, you know, you know, the, the song, you know, nice. the, line, the line I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the, you're talking Mom, about the I want to F you. Like, what, what does that what does that mean? And in, in, in fact, in the last like 10, 15 years, in one of the latest reissues of that original debut album, they finally reinserted the lyrics where he says the F word. Right. You couldn't swear. I mean, the first time I heard swear words, I think 
was did the sex pistols i think the sex pistols might have been the first swear word that we heard on on a record like i i was a senior when punk music was starting and that was a big thing is that there was an actual like now it's 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 common but there were no swear words in music when i went to high school in, until punk rock mm-hmm. yeah like mm-hmm. punk rock little by little there was a couple of words in there and that's what made it punk rock because yeah no the doors weren't allowed to use profanity things were so much more censored back then okay so um i'll go on to my last one number five number five um, a book called the stranger which i read in uh, as a senior you know about this book i teach so what, it. what is the lesson just mm-hmm. in your point of view of um of that book i guess the lesson would be that if you project yourself in the way that Merceau does, so aloof, so indifferent, that it can be held against you and that society will reject you and punish you. What about um, the idea of, like, what, how, what does it say about freedom in terms of, of the idea and the concept of freedom? In, in, in like, in regards well, I mean, to, the like, way his that actions the teacher on the taught it to me, and I uh, haven't read it since high school, I just remember... To me, it was introduced as a concept of absolute freedom um, that like when people today talk about freedom, like we have the freedom to go to the beach and take our masks off. Um, do people even are people actually able to handle true freedom? And I think uh, the idea of those kind of books were about what does absolute freedom mean? It means that I at any minute can make a choice. Um, doesn't matter what the consequences are. But I can make a choice. I'm completely free to make whatever choice I want. I could wear a mask, not wear a mask. I can go outside. If I feel like killing someone, I can. I have the freedom to make whatever choice I want. Mm-hmm. And what are the consequences of, of what, 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 what is the world like if we had everybody wants freedom? What would the world be like um, with absolute freedom? You know, what's to stop someone mm-hmm. from, from just saying, you know what, I just felt like killing. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors that led up to that. You know, he conscientiously took hold of the gun that the the guy he was with had. And and then, you know, the book goes to great lengths to to emphasize, you know, that that the the heat, the sun was really kind of throwing off his equilibrium. So the the, the combination of even just those two factors alone and, and, you know, on top of being accosted by that guy. Um, you know, led to what ended up happening. Um, so, I mean, I mean that's <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I am still very reluctant to go purchase a firearm because once I have it in my possession, I am now more likely to use it versus not, and never putting myself in the position of ever jeopardizing anyone's life yes, or and, my and own. So, so again, that's part of like like with a gun. We, we're talking all the time about freedom, you know, like we have a right and we have a right for freedom, but what does it really mean? You know, do we really, are we really responsible enough to handle freedom? No, no. And it's funny that the, the immediate alternative is a total uh, fascist state and uh, authoritarian. Um, no, I, in, in fact, what you're talking about is I almost just throw in the towel. I, I don't feel freedom. At, I mean, I feel free will in terms of, how to entertain myself, how to pass up the time. And, you know, of course, trying to not make any choices that could jeopardize my, 
uh, you know, my liberty or, or, or my opportunity to stay employed or, or healthy or whatever. But, um, but, but in, in terms, in terms of like the national argument of, of freedom and liberty and rights and all of that, I, it's a joke how people take things to such extremes that I don't even, I don't even bother complaining like, Oh, I'm, I'm being oppressed or stifled uh or whatever well yeah for me in high school that was sort of the point i got from and i haven't read it since then and i'm sure there's other themes but what i remember is like just this concept of everybody says we're the land of the free and that we have we need rights and that we should be free and that this was a philosophical concept of deciding really i mean are we really responsible enough to handle freedom and i don't think so because uh if everybody had absolute freedom, then what's to prevent you from just, you know, stabbing someone on the beach when, cause you felt like it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, I think if uh-huh. I remember, I, I, he killed him because the, the, it, not that he was worried about his life, but kind of that, that the sun was in his eye, right. From the, from the, the threat. But in any case, it was like the idea of, can we really handle freedom? I mean, Look at the look at the grown-ups around us running around on the news. Do we really want to give everybody in this country absolute freedom? Uh, well, I think what these philosophers, because they were coming out of World War II and out of d- dictatorship, is we don't want either one. We want people to be educated, well-thought-out, rational human beings that are able to make decisions um, without being controlled by their five-year-old little child and like, you know, that's what education should be about. That's what that's what like it means to be a citizen and to be educated is to have these philosophical concepts. So you don't just randomly throw around words like freedom and then uh, in, in, like the way I see on the news, you know, what I have. I, I, can, I don't need to wear my mask because this is the country of the free. So I can go to Walmart with a thousand people, you know, like like and I hope I'm not offending your, your mm-hmm. listeners here, but um I think that that as a high school student, I was learning these bigger concepts of how to be a, a citizen with the responsibility, the heavy responsibilities of thinking about things like freedom and what it actually means and, and uh, thinking about what it means to, uh, um, to, to, to look at our childhood patterns and how it's controlling our behavior and looking at the media and how it's, it's manipulating us politically. Well, that's the that's the tragedy of today is that there are people masquerading and promoting themselves as being free thinkers and educated and thoughtful. And they're clearly not because they just simply will embrace whatever caters to their sensibilities or interests and and somehow still twisted as being, well, see, I'm informed. I'm following the correct sources. Well, I mean, yeah, because essentially we're robots. We don't want to be, but we're, we're, we're controlled by these, these other things, which is what these thinkers are telling us. Like what, what I, I left high school with these concepts that I'm not as free as I think I am. I'm not, my decisions aren't really my decisions that, that there's comic books I'm reading as a kid, that there's childhood patterns and there's all these other things that are, kind of in the way of me really being a, a, a free rational human being and I have to be aware of that so I could be a, a citizen of value in the society or some kind of abstract thing I don't know if that makes any sense but uh, to me that's what education is about um, like wrestling with those big concepts not 
um, getting grades and points and so you can go to college and make more money after you paid off your hundred thousand dollars of student loan that's always the that's always the initial question that I pose to my students at the beginning of any school year is you know what in your eyes is the purpose of getting an education and what do they answer oftentimes just oh this will help me to get to my career or to be able to make money or to be able to support my family or to to be the first person in my family to get a college education, uh, very few people um, will consider education as an opportunity to to feed the mind and be exposed to, you know, what other people before them have pondered as being the great, you know, mysteries or topics worth exploring, and you know, well, hopefully thank develop God critical for the thinking. More because it threw a whole bunch of hippies in my direction when I was a kid. <laughs> And I wonder if any of my, you know, my high school colleagues will listen to this and agree with me because they know exactly which teachers I'm talking about. Um, and I think, again, it was a particular generational thing um, of being that age at that time and being educated by people that were part of a completely new social revolution happening. And it was about changing our thoughts because it was the middle of the 60s. And, you know, back then, Right. people started questioning why do we need to go to war you know who's who's telling you that what who's making decisions for me and uh they started to question authority and the music and all of those things so i for me that's what uh, those ideas were given to me as as a high school student now looking back i appreciate it awesome all well, right i, well, I hope this wasn't too heavy to and intellectual. i don't know who your audience is but uh I, I provided quite a gamut of different um, <laughs> media from records to, to books, but definitely check out uh, how to read Donald Duck. Go look it up. For sure. I, I think my audience is anybody who's willing to approach what people have to say with an open mind. And so for that, Mr. D, I, I really appreciate your time. And All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, brother.